Well, good morning at Gateway. I'm exhausted from doing this at the 9 o'clock service, but for those of you who are visiting with us, this is Tim and Terry Eagle, and... You're not making it easy. <laughs> Thank you, I recognize that was for me. And uh, So, uh, Tim and Terry have been with us since the very beginning, since our first Bible study. I saw a picture the other day of us a year after we had started meeting together, and it's funny, somebody posted some picture online of a, a group of us, I don't know if any of you saw this, but weeks ago, it was actually later than the picture I'm talking about, but some smart aleck here at Gateway commented, hey, what is all that stuff on top of Ed's head? So anyway, I happen to believe that, you know, some men have so much brain power that it just burns off the... Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But I, this picture I saw with, uh, that had Tim and Terry in it, and I was in it, you know, I, I looked 16. Y'all looked 12. So they've been with us from the beginning, and they have done almost everything here at Gateway. And Diane said to them and about them the other night just something that's so true. Tim and Terry never allowed themselves an excuse. They always came, always faithful. So they are moving to uh, Radford, Virginia, uh, getting out of God's will, and uh, they're going down to be with their children and grandchildren, and this is their last month with us. So this will be a gigantic hole to fill. That means about nine of you are going to need to step up. So thank you, Tim and Terry, for the years, and I think, Tim, you had some prepared remarks. So. <laughs> I, I, Doesn't he always? <laughs> well, if I don't do this, if I don't do it this way, um, I, I won't make it, and I can't guarantee I'll make it anyway by reading this. It may make it harder, I don't know. But this has been an amazing adventure for the last 22 years for us. We are different people now than who we were then not just because of we had more hair and we were younger, <laughs> but because of the way God has changed us during our time at Gateway. Through His Word and teaching, through the relationships we've developed, and through... Man, it should be easier the second time. And through the many, many close, lifelong friendships we've formed over the years. Gateway is our family. We have the same DNA... You cut us, and we bleed Christian community and relationships and service. And I'm purposely not looking at y'all. Even though we won't be with you physically all the time moving forward, know that we will be with you spiritually and emotionally. That bond will never be broken. And our charge to you, Gateway, Terry and I leave, is three things. Uh, number one, individually and corporately, to always seek out Christ in all decisions difficulties, circumstances, and even celebrations. Keep Christ at the center of everything you do, and that's done at Gateway, and keep Him the main thing. Number two, when you think of this building, this community resource center, I don't know that's been called that yet or not, always remember, this is not for you or for us. I mean, it is, but really, in the bigger picture, it's for the next generations to come and for those that aren't here yet. So don't stop reaching out to this local community around us and inviting them in to this experience um, that we've experienced here um, because they need it. And finally, 
uh, don't let the flame of building relationships and Christian community die out. Stoke it, kindle it, keep it burning bright so that all may see and feel and hear that this is gateway, not because who we are, but this is who Christ has formed us to be. So thank you, Gateway. Uh, this has been an honor and a true pleasure for Terry and I to, to be a part of this incredible God story here at Gateway that he's still writing. So. Thank you, guys. So Tim has been chairman of our elders at least twice, and uh, that's supposed to be a one-year tenure, but in Tim's case, it, it never was, and has done every job we have at Gateway. Uh, Tim has done it, and done it for a long time, and uh, done it faithfully. Terry has been uh, on staff with us almost from the beginning, and most recently, Terry has been our small groups director, and I often tell Terry she's the best small groups director in America, and she's done it part-time. So we are going to be in the process over the next several months of looking for a full-time small groups director, and we've got a, a search team already in place, and they're just beginning the process of looking. So over the next several months, you'll be hearing more about that. We will look here, and we will look regionally, and we will look nationally, because it's going to be a really hard job trying to fill... Terry's shoes. So, Terry, you've done small groups for years, and you've directed them here at Gateway for a while, so why? Why small groups? Well, when we first started this whole thing, that was my question. Why small groups? I didn't even know what they were at that point, and so why wasn't Sunday morning good enough? I had grown up in church. I had gone to some really big churches in Texas, and we're from Texas, and I thought, you know, we did Sunday school on Sunday morning. Wasn't that enough? The very first Bible study that we did, Ed took us through a study called Building Community. And can I tell you that we still teach that class. It's a class now. And if you have a chance to take it the next time that it's offered, um, which will be sometime next year, we try to do it at least once a year, please sign up for it if you haven't taken it before. It completely rocked our world. Completely. We read and understood the Bible differently. We understood who God was differently. And we were both Christians at the time. It wasn't like we were coming as completely clueless people. But it completely changed everything. And I remember asking Ed at the end of that, okay, so this all sounds really good in theory, but how do we do it? And he kind of chuckled and he said, I don't really know, but we'll see what God does with it. And that was the beginning of small groups for me. So once again, the question, why small groups? And this is my spiel that I give you when you come up and ask me about small groups or if you take Connect Four or anything like that. Small groups are a way to connect, a way to serve others and pursue solid friendships and a way to grow spiritually and serve those outside of ourselves. So part of what we do is we serve each other when we're in need and we serve outside because we want others to know us by God's love. And God has used small groups to change everything for Tim and me. How we do church, how we pursue relationships, how we resolve conflict, and how we open our lives and share God's story with others. They're not always fun, and sometimes they can be pretty messy. But 
they are life-changing if you invest in them. And it didn't just change things for us. So this is for you parents out there. It didn't just change things for us. It changed things for our kids. Having grown up in this mix of people who were trying to build a church and learn what small groups were, our children, who are now sitting over there all grown up with families of their own, went to college looking for the same type of community that they found at Gateway. And they are now living out Christian community in their own churches. And one of my favorite things when our kids was little was watching other adults in our small group build relationships and pour into our children. So for me, all of that that I just told you is why we do small groups at Gateway. So I'm going to say a prayer of just blessing over Tim and Terry. I said at the 9 o'clock service, Tim and I are both doing the best that we can to just deny this whole process. So we're going to ask you all to participate in that with us, if you would. <laughs> and <laughs> you can talk to Terry, but for Tim and I, let's just continue to act like things are completely normal. And then two months from now, I'll look around and say, where's Tim? And the rest of you just say, I don't know. So let's pray blessing over Tim and Terry. And you know, the Bible talks about laying hands on one another. I think we would smother Tim and Terry if we laid hands on them. But I want you to do something now, if you would. Would you just, as a way of uh, laying our hand on Tim and Terry and blessing them, and for some of you, I know some of you are new, but for some of you, Tim and Terry have been a profound blessing in your life. So just extend your hand toward them, if you would, and, and let's make that a sign of our blessing on them. Father, thank you so much for these two, for the impact they've had on uh, mine and Diane's life. Uh, thank you for your presence that we have felt through them and your peace that they have offered and your love that they've offered and your forgiveness that they've offered and your guidance and direction that they have offered. Really, you've offered it through them. Lord, I look at all of the planning and talking and praying and worrying and doing life together and I see it now as uh, a manifestation of your life through us, and I see it as privilege. So we bless them, that you would guard them and keep them, that your face would shine on them. You'd be gracious to them, that you'd lift up your countenance on them and give them peace as they go to Radford. And Father, we are so jealous for the many people down there who are going to be impacted by them, and we pray that you will continue to make them your people, your influence, your presence to others. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you guys. Okay, yeah, let's give them a hand. When we think of the spiritual life, and increasingly they tell us that we do, they tell us that we're thinking of the spiritual life, we Americans, and when we think of the spiritual life, we sometimes think of it as an activity, like go to church or try to pray. We may think of it as an event, like something happened in our life or this encounter that we had, or we may think of it as an overall feeling, like a sense of connection to God or to the universe. But the spiritual life is really a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And recognizing that changed everything for me. Beyond that, 
I had to learn that it was not only a relationship, but it was a growing, balanced relationship. It was something that I had to keep kindled, if you will. It's not automatic. So that leads to what was for me a complicated question. How? How do I grow it? How do I build a a balanced, growing relationship with God? And we have learned over time here at Gateway that the, the key to that, the key to thinking about that and the practice of it is understanding that I have to build, I have to kindle a relationship up toward God in worship. So I have to grow in my knowledge of him and and what he's like. And I have to grow in toward other people who know God. This is not a life you can do alone. So I have to be connected with others. And I will feel the absence of God's activity in my life and a connection to God if I'm not building that connection. And thirdly, I have to grow out toward the world in service and in sharing God's story. That growing out business, we're going to talk about that. That growing out business means growing in my ability and my desire to share God's story. So it means growing in my ability and my desire to care for people in need. It means growing in my ability and my desire to release my resources to good and godly causes. It means growing in my ability and my desire to share with others the story of Jesus. Share with others the story of Jesus. And that last one is a doozy. How do we do that? That brings up our topic today. Our question for this morning is, what enables us to be courageous witnesses about the story of Jesus? Now, to help us answer this, we're going to look at a passage we read this past Monday. Some of you are reading through the New Testament with us at Gateway. We're reading through the New Testament, and even if you're brand new, we'd love for you to join us. We have devotionals available, and they take you through a short passage in one of the Gospels and another short passage in the New Testament, and then give you a a little commentary about it. It's really good. And this past Monday, we read from a, a thrilling passage of Scripture. It's Paul's introduction to his second letter to his mentee, Timothy. And we're going to look at that this morning. And as we read this, I want you to think about you sharing your spiritual life or sharing the story of Jesus with workmates or with neighbors. And now, if you're honest, many of you are thinking, why would I want to do that? Do I really want to be one of those kind of weirdos? And even if you think you should, where does the courage come from to do that kind of thing, to be a courageous witness? So we're going to be honest this morning, but we're going to end up looking at three aspects that Paul addresses that enable us to be a courageous witness. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. And I'd love for you to look with me. It will be on the screen, but it's also on your phone in mygateway.life. If you go to the sermon card or if you have a Bible, 1 Timothy is way at the back of the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. So what enables us to be a courageous witness? Now, Paul begins by encouraging his mentee, Timothy, and here's what he says. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, because of your great sincere faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You may be seated. So three things that propel us, that enable us, that empower us to be courageous witnesses about the story of Jesus. Number one, we can be courageous witnesses because God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Now, this letter to Timothy begins with a strong encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Timothy was a young man and had been one of Paul's mentees. Paul had left him in charge of one of the churches that Paul had started. In his concern for Timothy, Paul wrote two letters at least. We have those as 1 and 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And we get a pretty clear picture of Timothy from these letters. He seems to have been naturally timid. He wasn't one of those people who ordinarily charges into the breach. We know from the first letter that he was a bit insecure about how young he was. He wasn't particularly outspoken, and he had a tendency to doubt just how certain he was of some of his teachings. So when people questioned Timothy, he had a tendency to acquiesce. We can almost hear Timothy asking, why should I keep doing this, Paul? And Paul says to Timothy and to us, because God has not given you a spirit of timidity. He's given you a spirit of power and love and self-control or self-discipline. There's a really interesting note in verse 6 at the beginning of this, if you look, isn't there? Paul began this letter by noting Timothy's great and sincere faith, as we said. And he says, for that reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, I experienced it in you and with you, Timothy. I was actually praying for you, and we all knew it, this gift God gave you. We felt it. We saw it. That word gift translates the Greek word charis here. The suggestion by his use of that word here and in other places is that, don't miss this, is that God does an actual thing in us. He touches us in a specific way that gives us a new kind of insight or a new perspective or perhaps even a new ability, literally. Or he sometimes augments abilities that are natural to our personality in ways that make them seem almost new. And then he makes us feel purposeful or missional, like we can do something for the world we want people to know. Right? Some of you have had this kind of experience. I know that perhaps many of you have had some serious exposure to crazy charismatic fellowships in your life. By the way, that term charismatic comes from this word, charis, or its related word, charisma. Listen, you need to know, especially if all of that seems completely weird to you, you need to know that the charismatics have got it mostly right. If you were exposed to charismatics, they may have led you to believe that there's something more. There's more God. There's a touch from God's Spirit. There's a God movement within you that He longs to initiate, and they're right. 
The New Testament book of Acts is full of these kinds of experiences. God wants to touch you and fill your spirit with his power and his love and self-control. I want you to know it's because of an encounter like this that I do what I do. Left to my own devices, I don't want to be the weird religious guy. I would rather do something that makes a lot more money and maybe gets me famous. But when I was 17 years old, I was in a church service with my mother. And I remember clearly, I wasn't listening to the pastor at all. I had no idea what he said. At the end of the service, he came down front like he often did in the church that I grew up in to offer an invitation. So he would come down front, the congregation would sing a hymn, and he would say, if you want to join the church or if you'd like to become a Christian, come down here and shake my hand. It was usually pretty perfunctory. We'd stand up, we'd sing a hymn, all right, amen, go, and we would leave. But this time he did something very unusual, and it was really unusual to do something unusual in this church. We're singing, and he stops the whole singing, it, it, kind of awkwardly. Nobody knew what to do. Ah, la, 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 la. It stop. Choir stops. Organ stops. He said, I have a clear sense that God's hand is pressing on someone today, and there is some young person here that God is calling into ministry. And I got nervous. I hadn't listened to anything else he'd said for the hour prior to that. I had no idea what I was nervous about. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that God was talking to me. I knew it was about me. And then he said, I want that young person to step out and come down front and shake my hand and we're going to pray for them. And I said to myself, I'm not going to step out and come down front (laughs) and shake his hand. And we started singing again and I stepped out and came down front and shook his hand. That experience made me pretty serious about my faith for a while, and then not so serious for a number of years, and I tried to run from it for a while. Even when I started, I got a connection with Christ rekindled again, I still didn't want that experience because the aforementioned wanting to make money and be famous. And I knew this was not exactly the road toward that. But God's hand was on me to do this, and it has been my inestimable privilege to participate with people over the years and seeing God move in their lives. Now let me add this. It's often been my experience that charismatics seem to miss the mark on one thing. They sometimes suggest that this kind of encounter with God is wildly dramatic. That's why in some settings the services are often wildly dramatic. And in fact, sometimes an encounter with God is wildly dramatic. Sometimes when God touches us, it is profound and it is a dramatic experience. But I don't believe charismatics are exactly right about this part. God's touch is not necessarily wildly dramatic. Sometimes it happens slowly over the course of weeks or months. Sometimes it can be quick, but more subtle. It's more like a perspective changing, a mind bending insight, but it's real. And I want us all this morning to recognize there's more. So let me end this section here with a little note. There are going to be people down front here to pray for you after the service. A couple of the elders are going to be down here in case, and there'll be people over there in the prayer section just in case. Some of you have had this experience before. You were 17, or you were at a college retreat, or you were 12, or you were 34, and you were in a worship setting. And God spoke to you. 
or over the course of a few months coming out of a crisis in your life, God touched your heart. And things rattled and changed and they settled into a perspective and you knew that there was something new in you. And you have let that die down. This morning, I want you to fan that into flame. I want you to come down front and ask someone to pray for you, and we will, and God will move. I also acknowledge that there are others of you here who have no idea what I'm talking about, but you want to. So come down front, and we're going to pray for you, and God is going to move in your life. He may move this morning or over the next several weeks. He will move. Okay, secondly. We can be a courageous witness, secondly, because we are sustained in our suffering by the power of God. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering, and this could be translated, suffer together with me, for the gospel, by the power of God. Even when things are at their worst, even if we're suffering because of our faith, we are sustained by the power of God, so we can do this. We can be courageous witnesses. Let me offer a parenthesis here. Why do we shrink back? Why aren't we always courageous witnesses about God's story all the time? Well, first of all, because the story of Jesus sounds ridiculous. Here it is in a nutshell. God came to our planet and died for us so that we could have a real relationship with him. What part of that sounds normal? Our whole belief system is either entirely true or it's ridiculous. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, Paul says, and he says it because he knows he needs to say it. We tend to be ashamed. I want you to imagine doing something really nice for a neighbor that you don't know well. Hey, thanks, they say. Why did you do that? And you say, I just want you to know how much God loves you. Who wants to be that weird neighbor? Or imagine you go into work this week. You go to one of your work meetings, large meeting, you're in a conference room. Hey, before we get started this morning, I just want to tell all of you about Jesus. I mean, he's really one with the Father and the Spirit. He came to earth literally to die for us so that God might put to death everything that separates us from him. And it's really good news. So how's your work project going? Imagine the after-meeting conversations that that's going to generate. On top of that, I think we shrink back for another reason. We shrink back from being courageous witnesses about our faith because it doesn't solve the problem. Our faith doesn't solve the problem, meaning we still suffer. Bad things still happen to us. We still get very sick. People still mistreat us badly. In a sense, what good does our faith do if it doesn't solve the problem? We would never be ashamed of being a Christian guaranteed solving all of our problems. We would run to our neighbors, hey, you really need to hear about the story of Jesus because it's going to solve all your problems. That's an easy message that none of us would ever be ashamed to deliver. That's why Paul added that little note to Timothy to also not be ashamed of him, right? Typically, in Greek culture, and Timothy and Paul both grew up in a Greek culture, Greek culture had very specific thoughts about the ideal life. They admired the perfect mind in the perfect body. So that was the ideal person. And and for the ideal person, according to Greek thinking, things always went right. 
So, for example, the ideal teacher with the ideal doctrine does not end up in prison. If you end up in prison, that's disreputable. Something's wrong. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you don't need to be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Did you catch that? Do you see that subtle little thing Paul said there? I don't even know if it was intentional. I think it's just an integral part of how Paul felt about his life. But look at it. I mean, on the surface, Paul is a prisoner of Caesar, of course. But in Paul's mind, Paul sees himself ultimately as a prisoner of the Lord. He's serving in prison at the Lord's discretion for the Lord's purposes. Now, what follows that? Most scholars believe that verses 9 and 10 are a quote from a familiar praise song that Timothy would have known. So I want you to look at it. Verse 8, don't be ashamed of testimony about our Lord nor of me. Suffer together with me for the gospel of the power of God. And then this section, most people believe that this is an old praise chorus that Timothy might have sung with his people in his church. I want you to read it with me as if this is a praise chorus. So let's read that verses 9 and 10 together. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So remember our main point. We can be courageous witnesses because we're sustained through suffering by the power of God. So what he's saying with this chorus, so follow the chorus. What he's saying here is that we can trust God's power to sustain us because he's already saved us. This salvation has happened because of his grace, so it doesn't depend on our effort. And this grace which saved us is eternal, so it's not dependent on current circumstances. And by the way, this grace which saves us has been fully shown, fully unveiled in Jesus Christ. So we are secure for eternity, but this also has profound impacts for right now. Look at verse 9. We are called to a life of purpose, a life set apart for God, a holy life or a holy calling. And, and this also is the result of his life. So we are meant, we are built, we are designed, and we are touched by God to be able to stay in a place and have a profound impact on a church, on people's lives. Generations, literally, of people have been children and youth who are now grown and married. And many of us have been profoundly impacted because of God's press on Tim and Terry Eagle. That's how it works. In summary, we are sustained through all circumstances, even through suffering. So we don't need to shrink back. We don't need to be ashamed. We can be courageous witnesses about the story that has literally changed history. Third, we can be courageous witnesses because we know we can trust him. We may not be able to trust our pastor, and if you are connecting to Gateway, you definitely can't trust your pastor. We might not even be able to trust ourselves. Our health fails. But we can trust him. Look at Paul's summary statement in verse 12. I'm not ashamed to be a witness to this great story, Timothy. And look at why he says he's not ashamed. To emphasize this, I want you to think about what he could have said. He could have said, I'm not ashamed, Timothy, because I'm not timid like you. So I want to encourage you to get over your natural tendencies. But that's not why. Paul isn't relying on himself. Nor does he say, I'm not ashamed, Timothy, because nothing bad is ever going to happen to me when I'm telling people this great story. In fact, he says very nearly the opposite, doesn't he? What Paul says is, 
I'm not ashamed because I know who I believe in. I may not know all of the what's or the how's, but I know the who. And I know he's able to guard what he's entrusted to me. In other words, I trust him. And he will make this great story advance because he wants people to hear it. That's why he adds the final note that he adds in verses 13 and 14. I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believe. I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. And now this, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul knows that God is passionately interested in making sure the integrity of his story is maintained from generation to generation. So Paul tells Timothy and us to follow the pattern of sound words that we heard from him and guard the deposit entrusted to us. We've been given a pattern. This is why we talk about the Bible every Sunday at Gateway. We've been given a pattern. We need to follow it. And we've been entrusted with a good deposit. We need to guard it. And that doesn't mean guard it so others can't have it. That means guard it so that when we courageously give it away to others, we're giving away exactly what we've been given. The same message. I had a good friend in high school, we'll call him George, who really had an experience with God at about the same time I did. And he felt touched by God. I think most people who knew us at the time would say we were both pretty touched. But he felt touched by God to go into ministry. And that guy, after a circuitous route, is in ministry today in another state. As I said, right after this experience, I got pretty serious about this. So in high school, so teenagers, in high school, this friend of mine, we're calling him George, this friend of mine, George and I, started a Bible study in the morning before school and invited a bunch of our friends, a bunch of guys. And a bunch of people came. A lot of them had no connection with God whatsoever, and it was my first experience in the amazing life of giving the story of God away. There's nothing like it. So we would meet once a week in the morning before school, and it was, I promise you, it was electric. We'd meet just for an hour. We'd spend 45 minutes talking about girls, 10 minutes talking about sports, and five minutes praying, and it was great. And it was about what we needed. We'd pray five minutes about sports and girls, and God did his thing. And we saw people, you know, just marinate and stuff. Well, through the whole year, George felt like he was supposed to share with a good friend of his and tell him the story. We'll call the good friend Steve. And George could not summon up the courage. So he kept waiting for the perfect circumstance. I don't know what he was waiting for. I suppose he was waiting for Steve to come up to him and say, can you please tell me about this God story? Of course, that would never happen. Steve was a mess. His family was a mess. His life was a mess, even as a high school kid. And he's a good friend of George's. So George just felt this burden, and he just never could get the courage to share it. So toward the end of the year, really late in the year, I think we had already stopped the Bible study, but I don't even remember. It could have been exam week, you know, very end of the year. George has felt this burden all year long, and in the hallway at school, George and Steve pass one another going up and down the steps. Steve's going down, George is going up. George gets up a rung of steps, so he's up here, he's looking down at Steve going down, and George says, hey Steve! 
hallway's got people in it. Steve looks up. George says, I became a Christian, and I've been meaning to tell you that God loves you. Kept walking and never spoke to Steve again. <laughs> so, he finally shared very, very awkwardly what had been the burden on his heart. I don't know what happened to Steve, but I, I followed Steve's life, you know, at a distance for another 10 years probably, and I know that it never got traction. If we don't move with courage, then we will either not share, our lives will not move outward, or we will share very, very badly. And our fear of being the weird religious guy will be fully realized. George needed to remember that he could be a courageous witness because God had given him a spirit of power and love and self-control, not timidity and not fear. George could be a courageous witness because even if he suffered because of the message, or generally in his life, God was going to sustain him. And George could be a courageous witness because in moving out toward others, God will guard his message. If we move out, God will guard his message. So, Gateway, let's make 2019 what we got left of it. Let's make 2019 the year we move out courageously. Let me pray. Lord, I want to ask you this morning that you would touch us. I pray that you would rekindle the flame this morning. That you would capture our hearts. Father, there are those of us here this morning who have let our connection to you grow cold and the flame has become an ember, but it's there. And there was a time in our lives when you spoke more into our lives. And I pray this morning that you would grab our hearts and reawaken us. Spirit, I ask you to fall on us in the name of Jesus. For anyone here this morning, Lord, for whom they don't have a connection to you and their prevailing sense is that the story of Jesus is ridiculous, we get it. But God, I pray this morning that you would speak truth and clarity into their hearts and that you would move. Move with power, Lord. Move with love and offer us self-control. We open up all that we know of ourselves, and we offer it to all that we know of you. I'm going to sing one more song before we go. You can stay seated. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
Father, I pray this week you would give us divine appointments as we go through our week, as we walk out the doors this morning. You would give us situations where we can share your word, share the good news, proclaim your love, to share it uh, in love and truth with courage, with hope, and that we would receive the grace that we're sharing as well, that through an outpouring of love that you give us, we would be able to love others and bring them into fellowship with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday.